All right, you guys, welcome back to Freedom Papers. This is Morgan Zeggers. I am jazzed. I am so excited about this episode. Connor, thank you for joining again. Hi, great to be back. Good to be here. Did you enjoy your morning? I had a lovely morning. Um, talked about the WHO and mm-hmm. the ways that they're going to destroy American sovereignty. So it was a uh, cheerful and uplifting, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, Connor. So like, we have our little radical freedom papers discussions, and sometimes <laughs> it like when you and I are talking, it's like we must save the republic. Yeah. The states must rise up. There's dereliction of duty, and it all just seems so normal as you and I are talking about it. And I also feel like I can get away with saying things that like uh, grown men and like standing behind a podium with a microphone in front of their face. Maybe it's like yeah. scarier if they say it. But I'm like, hi everyone, yeah. <laughs> hello children of the world that I'm homeschooling. You're, um, you're a great my um, podcast. delivery vehicle for Thank the you. message of the radical right. Thank you, Connor. Um, either way, I got invited onto the Sean Ryan show. And if you guys know me, you know that I'm kind of a fangirl. And so when I saw a DM from him, I kind of peed my pants a little. Oh, no. And I got so ex- figuratively. Okay. Figuratively. That was a term of excitement. Good. <laughs> and I got so excited. But then as I was on his show, I was like, oh, boy, maybe I sound like a psychopath. Because I was explaining what you and I have been talking about off camera with this situation, you guys. We always talk about state rights and balances of power, checks of power. And we're going to get into the Federalist paper. But I just wanted to let you guys know, we're filming this right now. I don't exactly know what is about to happen. But pretty soon, the World Health Assembly is about to occur. And the World Health Organization, the WHO, which is an arm of the United Nations, and is led by the director general, a man named Tedros. Dr. Tedros. He's got Tedros. a foreign first name that I can't pronounce. Dr. Tedros. It turns out the Chinese communists paid a bunch of developing countries via opaque funds and aid. They needed the money and Chinese communists were like, hey, we'll give you a bunch of money if you vote in the World Health Organization to put Tedros in charge. Turns out Tedros Mm -hmm. is a communist from the Ethiopian communist country. Ethiopia is considered little China, especially helpful in their Belt Road initiative that the Chinese communists are doing to take over the world. And now the WHO is meeting again, Connor, this weekend. I don't know when this episode is going to come out, but there is major discussion because they are talking about giving international global authority political and financial power to the who whenever a potential future health crisis pops up and it could have to do with the spread of a virus a pandemic or what are some other things they say are health crises guns global warming guns climate change racism Um, yeah domestic domestic terrorism so basically everything we talk about in freedom papers just throw it out the window Because if the WHO is given control and the ability to step into a country and say, we think you have a health problem and under these new expectations, we don't even have to consult with you, you host country that's experiencing a crisis, we're going to come in with our own expectations. They're talking about international vaccine passports, international vaccine requirements, international monitoring of traveling and travel restrictions, international lockdowns, all the things, Connor. I wish I was kidding. Yeah. Totally unelected, uh, faceless, nameless bureaucrats. I wish I was kidding. Who are appointed by the Chinese communists. So yeah, um, that it's a pretty big deal. And this is happening in three days as of when we're filming right now. What day is this? Or is it the 17th? No, it's the 19th. Uh, today's the 19th. It'll happen today's on- Today's the 19th. What? It's starting Monday? on Sunday. Sunday, yeah. Lord's Day. Um, <laughs> Great. The irony <laughs> does not miss me. Oh yeah, they don't. they don't value that. So they're working on the Lord's Day. I'll stop. Okay, they're working on the Lord's Day. It's a mess. Okay, either way, we don't know what's about to happen. 
but Ish is about to go down, if you ask me. Yeah, hopefully you're still watching this in a free American Republic by the time. Well, it's funny, Sean, at the end of the show, he was like, no, Morgan, what can be done here? Like, let's contact our representatives and stuff. And I was like, Sean, this is happening in three days. <laughs> in my head, I didn't I mean, want to be like too negative, but I was like, absolutely, we should. But it's a little concerning that barely anyone is talking about this. I think a lot of conservative leaders are like, Ooh, I don't want to look crazy and like talk about this because they didn't know if it was real or not. And so they were kind of holding off. But now it's happening in three days. And I was like, well, if you look at this from the big picture, you know how we talk about states providing that check on the federal government and what would actually lead to a fracture? Mm -hmm. This is what would lead to a fracture. Oh, totally would. And yeah. it wouldn't just be blue states versus red states or the authoritarian states versus the freedom-loving states. This would be the freedom-loving states, the few that are apparently left, against the non-freedom-loving states, the federal government, and now the international globalist authoritarian community. And that Which, is that. Freedom Papers! The Sorry. Fact, the fact that that even exists in the first place is terrifying and, and wrong and shouldn't. So yeah. We fund a big chunk of that too. Like the UN funding, I think, is almost over 50% from the United States. And oh, yeah. so Well, and then we like doubled it yeah. um, because of COVID. Because, you know, we, ha we have to give China their money to control the world. Either way, you guys, I wish I was making this up. That was all true, what we just said. Like, we have vetted this. We have researched it. We were careful. I think Connor and I were really careful to not. Oh, We've yeah. been talking about this for a while. I am at a loss for words at this point, but it's real. I'm going to be monitoring it. Again, I don't know when this episode is going to come out, but it'll be kind of funny, I think, to look back and see now that we will be able to, from the future, understand mm -hmm. what, what actually went down. And um, uh, just wow. really quick, sorry. Shame, nope. Shameless plug. Go ahead. Uh, whenever this episode comes out, and you're thinking, what the hell are they talking about? Feel free to go back to the Charlie Kirk Show archives. Oh, and uh, Connor, we've got some really great go episodes on this. Go to the Morgan Zegger Show. Well, yeah, you can do that too. And the Charlie Kirk Show. Yeah, do both. More the yeah. merrier, right? I mean, you need a woman and a man to combine. Yeah. I so agree. listen to mine first. And then if you want to get annoyed by hearing a man explain, a mansplaining. We actually had uh, Michelle Bachman on, who's great. She t she knows all about this stuff. And she oh. did some very serious womansplaining, frankly. We, it was, Charlie called it the longest answer to a question in show history. And she spoke for about 10 minutes, like totally uninterrupted. But it was thorough and it was correct and it was factual. Connor, so was that a, an insult? No, not at all. She's great. We love Michelle. It's like when guys say that we can't pick where to eat. Do you want to know? Side note, here we go. Free, welcome to Freedom Papers. Um, when I, you know, I, I hear that guys like like making the decisions and stuff. Yeah. You know, an alpha man. And so I also, I am like so womanly in the sense that like, I don't care where to eat. It's not that I can't pick, but like, I really just don't care. Yeah. And so I've just decided to win every situation where they're like, where do you want to eat? And I go, I like when you pick. That's cute. Okay. It's a good puts a lot fix. of pressure on the men, frankly. So, ladies, if you struggle with stereotypes about we have long answers and we don't know where to eat, I have one solution for you. <laughs> with that being said, let's talk about anyway. um, the necessary and proper clause and Federalist Thirty Three. It's a big one. Oh wait, <laughs> I'm wearing my plaid shirt. It's a great. I shirt. just always have to give a shout. Have you seen the cuffs? Uh huh. Yeah, that's like my favorite uh, dress thing that you do. I don't know why I do this to everyone, but I wear this dress and then I ask everyone every single time. Did you know there's a deer on my cuffs? Oh, dear. <laughs> I do it every time. As if I don't wear this dress like multiple times a month. And I'm like, Connor, did you know? Did you know? Check did you know that out. this comes? They put nature pictures on every single It is really cool, actually. Like, I, I'm actually a big fan of that. Do they make uh, men's clothes? Oh, yeah. It's like a man's company. And then okay. they sell, I think, two of these women's style dresses. I'm going to look into and that. And some women's flannels. But it's more of like a man's flannel company. Right. Carrot. Okay. Sorry. Not sorry, okay. proper. Back to the same, but we had to talk about WHO. Yeah, of course. I'm sorry, editors, for doing this to you. All right, here we go. Same subject continued. Bump. I'm shocked. 
I'm shocked. Um, you guys were talking about taxation. If we go back to 31, which is the original title, this is concerning the general power of taxation. This one is again by Hamilton. This is a, once again, I am liking these style papers, Connor. Yeah. This is straight to the point. Mm -hmm. And there's two main topics, um, but Connor, if you've caught anything else, let me know. Hamilton starts with saying the residue of the argument against the provisions of the Constitution in respect to taxation is engrafted upon the following clauses. The last clause of the eighth section of the first article authorizes the national legislature to, quote, make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the powers by the Constitution vested in the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof, end quote. And the second clause of the sixth article declares that the, quote, Constitution and the laws of the United States made in pursuance thereof and the treaties made by their authority shall be the supreme law of the land. Anything in the Constitution or laws of any state, to the contrary, notwithstanding. All right. Quick summary by Morgan before I pass it over to Connor. We're focusing on two concerns about the power to tax in the federal government. The necessary and proper clause gives the government the necessary and proper power to actually execute the duties that it has written and assigned to it in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into it, but that can get a little sticky because how do you define what is necessary and proper? Hamilton says, you guys are overcomplicating something. It's very clear that this is just giving the con the people of the government the power that they need to do their job. And it's very simple in that way. Others say, who are you to decide what is necessary and proper? The other thing is this idea of the supreme law of the land. If you want to be a participant in a republic as a state, then yes, all the participants of that republic need to agree that they will be assigned to a set of laws that will reign supreme, or else what the heck are they even a part of? And Hamilton makes the point that it's more of like being in a treaty and everybody's just kind of agreeing to live by a certain way. They aren't being governed under that federal government. So, Connor, any initial thoughts? Yeah. Um, this is also called the Elastic Clause. Mm. Fun fact for you. I love um, your fun facts. Yeah, of course. Uh, so the necessary and proper clause is something that has been largely misinterpreted by um, both the courts and the legislative branch throughout the existence of uh, both of those institutions, right? Oh. And uh, sadly to say, but uh, Hamilton and Madison both warned against this and they said that that would not, um, essentially they were saying that people are going to understand the implied meaning behind this and that it would not be abused because really it is kind of straightforward. I'm going to, I'm going to do something here, um, a little out of pocket. I'm not going to read from the paper, but I'm going to read from the constitution itself. Oh, um, just so you have the full context of it, right? So the necessary and proper clause, this is article one, section eight towards the very, very end. It's the last part of article one, section eight, uh, to make all laws, which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution, the foregoing powers and all the other powers vested by this constitution in the government of the United States or any department or officer thereof, right? So the key operative word there is, or the key operative phrase rather, is not necessarily the necessary and proper part of it, but it's for carrying into execution the foregoing powers. In context, in full context, what that means is that section eight goes through extensively and for um, a pretty decent length about what the responsibilities and duties of the Congress are, right? Um, things that we've talked about on the show before to build an army, to maintain an army, to um, tax, uh, to regulate commerce, uh, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the necessary and proper clause doesn't give them the ability to just, you know, say, okay, well, this is necessary and proper for the United States mm -hmm. as a law, um, so we need to enact it. The necessary and proper clause just gives them the ability to um, 
enact those things which are expressly granted to them. A good analogy that I was told one time when I was in uh, high school or college at some point about this was if, and this is actually apparently a very common like legal legal um, mechanism, right? So yeah. if you go into contract and you hire someone to manage, uh, let's say like a grocery store, right? That you own, right? Uh, and in the contract that you sign with them, there's going to be a necessary and proper clause that says, whatever you need to do to manage the grocery store um, as outlined in the expectations that are also in this contract, which is what the constitution is. It's a, it's a social contract basically. Um, then you have the ability to do that. So that means, yeah. So if I have to pay someone to go fix the AC because it's broken, that's necessary and proper. If I have to restock the apples because there was a run on apples, right? That's mm -hmm. necessary and proper. What it doesn't allow you to do is to take the, take the grocery store, you know, take everything, all the produce within it and then hand it out for free or throw it away and, you know, burn the store down or to turn it into something completely different. That would be outside of the provisions of the necessary and proper clause. So this doesn't create power. It just gives you the ability to um, institute and execute the powers which you are expressly given. So it's been misinterpreted. Um, and at the end of the day, the legislature, I'm rambling here, but it's important. No, it I think sense. the legislature is kind of the linchpin um, branch of the three branches of the government, right? And so the first time that this was kind of, let's see. What's the word here? Abused, I guess, or misinterpreted um, was in a case called McCullough v. Maryland, which had to do with the establishment of the second national bank of the United States. So Congress tried to enact a law, and they did, and in fact, uh, that would establish the second national bank. And it was challenged, and it went to the Supreme Court. And in McCullough v. Maryland, the court said, Congress has the ability to do this because it's necessary and proper to the uh, implementation of their right to tax, right? And they basically said that was the first time that this was like read by the courts as do whatever you want basically and then it was downhill from there the biggest abuse of the necessary proper clause is whenever it comes to the commerce clause which is another one to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states so um that's been just absolutely used and abused especially think during the civil rights era and um kind of uh, the, the the way that the government went about restricting uh, healthcare, for example, is another abuse of that. So it's a, it's a tough one and I get why they put it in there, but it has been sadly abused. So the Anti-Federalists might've been right about something here. Yeah, no, I, I mean, oh, maybe this was the same thing, but we've discussed this before of there is language in the constitution that the left today mm -hmm. specifically will say, oh, well, we're providing for the common good. That's one of the terms in the Constitution. We're providing for the common good. And so we do need to have things like universal health care. And we do need to have, um, we do need to pay off student loans. And we do need to have free college for all because those end up um, equipping and bettering the public good. And yeah. so they use these very general things. Speaking of contracts, one of my favorite examples is um, with custody negotiations with parents. I think you and I have talked about this before. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by family policy, especially the family court system, because it's so sad when you look into it, you guys. But a lot of the problems is that parents, when they're first separating and they're like, we're going to co-parent and this is going to be great, we're going to make this work, they end up drawing this very um, simple and casual agreement saying like, oh, well, if you want to go on vacation, yeah, just bring the kids back at a reasonable time and only go for a reasonable length of time. And um, mm -hmm. all, all these things, they usually use this term reasonable and it right. ends up getting the parents into court and into really heated and feisty 
aggressive arguments because at the end of the day, one person's view of what, quote, reasonable is, especially when it has to do with their family and their child, is very different from another person's definition of reasonable. Mm -hmm. And so that leads to the situation only getting worse. And so it's recommended for parents, especially if they want to have a healthy co-parent relationship, to have very strict and clear language. And so yeah. that is a good criticism of this, of what is necessary and proper. Um, at the same time, I understand how Hamilton is making the defense of this is a very simple statement of of that. And I want to actually get into that because yeah. it's, it, he ends up addressing it right here. Right. But uh, I do love connecting those everyday lifestyle examples so that people can understand like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense why both sides are frustrated on this one. So there's a quote that stuck out to me by Publius. It says, what is a power but the ability or faculty of doing a thing? What is the ability to do a thing but the power of employing the means necessary to mm -hmm. its execution? What is a legislative power but a power of making laws? What are the means to execute a legislative power but laws? What is the power of laying and collecting taxes but a legislative power or a power of making laws to lay and collect taxes? What are the proper means of executing such a power but necessary and proper laws? This simple train of inquiry furnishes us at once with a test of the true nature of the clause complained of. It conducts us to this palpable truth that a power to lay and collect taxes must be a power to pass all laws necessary and proper for the execution of that power. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was a great statement. No, it's really good. And like you said, it's about the execution of the power. It doesn't create an expressed power. It's a, it's about giving you the ability to execute a power that's already expressed. You can't drive a car if you don't have the keys. Yeah. Right. No, exactly. And so it's that same concept kind of carried over from those other papers. Of mm -hmm. If you're going to give responsibilities to the government, like protecting for the um, public safety, all of these basic things, having the military to protect our borders, all these basic things require some sort of funds or else how are you going to make it happen? You can't just wish these things into existence. Yeah. And so you have to have the ability to tax. The ability to tax is really necessary and proper to carry out any of the expectations of the federal government. So like I said, guys, this is very simple in my eyes. Um, next statement, Connor. Mm -hmm. He says, but the same process will lead to the same result in relation to all other powers declared in the Constitution. And it is expressly to execute these powers that the sweeping clause, like you said earlier, mm -hmm. there's different nicknames for this, that the sweeping clause, as it has been effectively called or effectively called, authorizes the national legislature to pass all necessary and proper laws. He later down here says, but it may be asked again. Who is it to judge of the necess necessity and propriety of the laws to be passed for the executing of the powers of the union? If the federal government should overpass the just bounds of its authority and make a tyrannical use of its powers, the people, whose creature it is, must appeal to the standard they have formed and take such measures to redress the injury done to the Constitution as the exigency may suggest and prudence justify. I thought of Dr. Fauci right away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they, I don't think that they envisioned a uh, government run by, you know, faceless, nameless bureaucrats and those who only emerge from the, you know, their their swamp desks in times of crisis and abuse of power like Fauci did, right? Yeah. No one knew Fauci for 30 years, but he was a big part of the government's response to all medical issues for a long time since the Reagan administration, oh, right? Oh, that AIDS thing is Yeah, the AIDS insane. thing is sick, man. AIDS, it's very, AIDS very is weird. sick. It is. Anyway. <laughs> cancer is sick. It's true. And those who have cancer. COVID is sadly sick. sick. Um, when I get the sniffles, I am sick. <laughs> Sorry. I just, anyway. <laughs> I'm a poet. The Federalist Papers are pretty sick. Yeah, but in a good way. In a, yeah, sick and rad and cool. They're a radical dude. Um, <laughs> what, actually, what, I was quite inspired on? by this. This this paragraph. Right, yeah, like, sorry. No, 
<laughs> I agree. It's so hard because this is a very serious topic, but we're just having fun, okay? Um, these are very serious though, and I was really inspired reading this, Connor, because it it's just such a good reminder. Like back then, the founders they fought, they fought so hard for uh, this, yeah. and in in their writings, whether they're anti-federalist or federalist. I don't think it even crossed their mind potentially that the American people would have been the cause of the downfall in the sense of they allowed themselves to become so ignorant, so unhealthy, so yeah. weak that the government would take over in this way. I mean, just the way that they're stating, it's so matter of fact. Yeah. Did that catch your eye? Like it, it, did. it caught my a matter of fact of like, well, of course, I mean, if they ever did overstep in this this use of the necessary and proper laws, uh -huh. well, of course the people would just immediately yeah. stop it and squash it. Yeah, because he, go, he goes on to say, um, if the federal government should overpass bounds of its authority, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the people whose creature it is, so the, the, the government belongs to the people. Yes. The people whose creature it is must appeal to the standard they have formed and take such measures to redress the injury done to the Constitution as the exigency may suggest and prudence justify. Prudence, I underline that word, because the thing is that the American people have lost sight of prudent, rational uh, reasoning when it comes to how uh, they play a role in the government. And yeah. the way that the nation operates, right? So we don't we don't live in a prudent society anymore. We live in a mm -hmm. irrational and uh, chaotic society, which values God knows what, you know, over you know the collective good of the republic and the ability of um, the, even their families to operate safely, freely, and without uh, tyrannical uh, usurpation by the federal government. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you guys, I mean, sad, I've reread this paragraph quite a lot because mm -hmm. we've forgotten our role in the Republic. That's uh -huh. the basic. That should be the lesson from all of Freedom Papers is that, uh, I mean, going back to that initial concept, especially I used to talk about a lot earlier with the unenlightened public that we have right now. I mean, Charles Kessler, my front page fell off of my book, so <laughs> I can't exactly show you guys. Connor has it. Um, but the Charles Kessler version, in the introduction of this this version of the Federalist, he talks about the founders wrote this for an enlightened, godly people. Right. And we are simply not that anymore. Nope. And so just to see how matter of fact the language was for Hamilton and, and any of the other founders who were like, well, obviously the people wouldn't allow this. It's just, wow, they wouldn't, right? night and day difference between what the American public looks like now. It's like those, um, I don't mean to be like rude against people's bodies, but it's like the visuals of like 1970s at the mm -hmm. beach versus uh, 2022 is it's a stark contrast to just well, how yeah, we treat ourselves. Um, and that goes back to how uh, imprudent of a society that we have become. Because yeah. if we were a prudent society still, then we wouldn't engorge ourselves on saturated fats and sugars and things like that. But we don't really care about our health anymore. And um, we let it go to yeah. Actually, speaking of which, I was looking into the Ukraine situation with the wheat because Ukraine and Russia with provide about 30% yeah. of the wheat and barley and corn, uh, major percentages of those things too, especially to African countries and mm -hmm. a few others. Um, and there's a huge history behind it. It's actually really interesting. The world, that kind of supply used to be provided by Europe and America. Mm -hmm. And then after the Cold War, when the Soviet Union fell, they thought that they might be able to empower Russia and Ukraine and these countries that had then, you know, go in the dark way, they thought they might be able to empower them by allowing and empowering them to become the supporters of a global supply chain of food and that they would be proud of that. Ukraine kind of embraced that in many ways and, and they became a, a generally good society. Russia's government is obviously very different mm -hmm. in many ways. But I was listening to a podcast about how maybe it was wrong of us to assume that we could hand over such a major responsibility and that it would change the hearts of an entire nation that just doesn't really believe in those things. So it was really interesting. Um, but yeah. one of the talking points in the podcast was about how, yes, they provide those 
key like grain, corn, barley, but they also provide a lot of seed oils mm -hmm. for the world. The, a lot of the populations rely on that. And I was like, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, like maybe we need to replace that. Stay away from seed oils, frankly. The other interesting thing. Go on. I didn't know much about this, this situation in Africa. All of the aid that is going over there and kind of like the, the babying of that society, mm -hmm. they have so much potential in Africa. So many countries, so much fertile land, so, so much, much land. opportunity for them to develop and become a thriving society in mm -hmm. many ways. And it's being hindered by the fact that we have encouraged that society and we keep that society dependent on the rest of the world, the global supply chains. They could be growing their own food. Of course they could. It's the, literally the most fertile. When I found that out, fertile, I was like, oh. It's like the most fertile of the entire you know, region of the entire globe. Yeah. Right. It's, Some of the most fertile land. It, it's literally like the, the cradle of civilization because of how fertile it is and how livable it is uh, if it's, you know, tamed and conquered correctly. Right. Yeah. But it's still a kind of a hangover of the colonial days. Right. So Africa was, of course, kind of compartmentalized and owned by all these separate distinct nations, the French, the Dutch, the English, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, that that's they were obviously pillaged and ravaged by the slave trade and all these things. Mm -hmm. And so Africa has really been given the shaft as a continent. Um, there's so many minerals there. There's diamonds, there's gold, there's silver, there's fertile lands, there's crop lands, all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. But um, yeah. it's unfortunate. Sadly, and, and so all of those countries, they are dependent on the international supply chain for their basic foods. And it turns out they could grow it themselves. And so I was just like in my head, I was like, I wonder what like what would help them and inspire them instead of like the more liberal people like mm -hmm. the what is it the clinton foundation and stuff right. you know how they go in and help these organizations and they kind of like just want to keep them in that situation and they aren't thinking big like mm -hmm. what would it take to to empower them but that's a whole other conversation it just really like set my mind off of huh well the, pro the problem is is that not enough people give a crap about africa as a continent or the people that live there so they don't really look into what the aid that goes over there purportedly does. And so the reality is, is that Africa has been a massive uh, money laundering operation. A lot of the aid that goes over there, like the Clinton Foundation and all yeah. these different people, um, they just launder money through it basically. And they say, all right, we're going to send $40 billion to uh, Ethiopia or Chad or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe a million goes there and God knows what happens to the rest. Jeez. So well, it's I sad. Don't know. It really I, I just, I have this little hope spark almost in my mind now in my heart. And it's like, I really hope the best for them. I, I think it'll be exciting. Maybe as we grow older, we'll get to see the rise of that continent. Probably again. not. The Chinese are about to take over Africa. So, speaking of the WHO, not to not Ethiopia. to not to put a damper on your uh, your hopes and dreams for the African people. <laughs> I but have a little spark in my the heart. The Chinese Connor. are coming for you. And you're like, nice try. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Xi Jinping's about to put that little spark out, Morgan. All right. Yeah. So, um, you guys. So that was kind of like the necessary and proper clause. Connor, do you have any closing thoughts on that, or um, we move on to supremacy? Yeah. We can, let's let's talk about supremacy. Awkward pause. <laughs> I've talked so much about this stupid replacement theory lie I, I of like, I, I did a whole podcast episode just on the fact that there is a major difference between the white supremacist replacement theory and the concerns, the genuine concerns of average Americans about the fact that the, the left is just welcoming millions of illegal immigrants into the country and then saying, yeah, we really hope that they take over elections it's a mess um they literally tell you what they're going to do and then like the moment that we call them out for saying what they're going to do by just using their own words against them yeah all of a sudden you're racist you're a white supremacist right no. yeah so su supremacy i've just said it too much this week okay um but we're going to talk about supremacy in a different way the mm -hmm. supremacy of law federal government 
So this last quote that um, caught my eye about the subject, it says, But it is said that the laws of the union are to be the supreme law of the land. What inference can be drawn from this, or what would they amount to if they were not to be supreme? It is evident they would amount to nothing. Mm -hmm. A law, by the very meaning of the term, includes supremacy. It is a rule which those to whom it is prescribed to are bound to observe. This results from every political association. If individuals enter into a state of society, the laws of that society must be the supreme regulator of their conduct. It would otherwise be a mere treaty, dependent on the good faith of the parties and not government, which is only another word for political power and supremacy. Mm-hmm. So initially I thought of, we, we talked a lot about how when you have a confederacy and when you don't have a strong enough government and you don't have any expectations beyond please be a good member, then what do you know? The states don't exactly jump to send you the money that they owe you. They don't exactly jump to send you the soldiers that you need when the nation is invaded and that state itself isn't invaded because they aren't just, they aren't directly tied to it. And then the only way to really hold those bad actors accountable is to invade them. And then that leads to just chaos and and disorder. And so you're barely able to invade them if you don't have like the supremacy of the the federal government that to give you the right to invade them and to control them, right? Yeah. And so, so th- I think this was mess. very, very basic. Unless I'm like missing no, something is. here. Do you have any like philosophical things you want to add? <laughs> no, I mean, look, I love the supremacy clause. I wish that the supremacy clause would be enforced more actually because oh. right now we are seeing states completely overrun uh, the authority of the federal government. Um, you know, we have sanctuary states, right? And that is a complete and total affront to the supremacy of the federal government, oh, right? Oh, great point. I was wondering and if you had an example. Yeah. So, like, the federal government makes immigration law. They mm-hmm. say that it is a federal offense to enter a country illegally and then to reside here as an alien uh, resident of the United States. However, states have said, nope, we are going to create what's called a sanctuary state um, for illegal aliens. And that is literally spitting in the face of the federal government, which... You know, sometimes I enjoy doing, frankly, myself, but... For proper reasons. When what Hamilton... For uh, necessary and proper reasons. For necessary and proper reasons, <laughs> I will spit on you. Um, but Hamilton closes this, uh, this section saying, it will not, I presume, have escaped observation that it expressly confines the supremacy to laws made pursuant to the Constitution, right? And so whenever we're talking about laws that are made pursuant to the Constitution and the good and true and right protection of our republic, our home... Uh, then I would expect the federal government to enforce those laws. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, it is very disappointing to see them allow the degradation of the republic in which they were entrusted to go to hell, all in the name of allowing states to do what they want to do. It's yeah. a perversion of states' rights uh, in the name of social justice and uh, arguably replacement. Oh. Connor, I love that. Um, I'm glad that I'm glad that you remembered to bring in the sanctuary city thing because I was like, I feel like this specifically was discussed, and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, when you like, you can't even Google something because you can't think oh, of yeah, the yeah. keywords. Uh-huh. I do that all the time, and then I end up just googling like weird yeah, stuff. And then then you fall down a rabbit hole of God knows what. Yeah, and I never find the actual thing that I was looking for. But thank you for bringing yeah, yeah. that up. I think that was a great point. Um, I'm very much in favor of states checking the federal government totally. when it steps out of bounds. But at the end of the day, I'm an American. And I believe in the government of America. Mm-hmm. I believe in, in our country and in our founding principles and in the concepts of us. Sometimes I disagree with the government, but for the most part, 
it's important to have that supremacy at the federal level to keep yeah, everybody in check, to keep everything sane and stable yeah. and secure. Do you remember when we talked about the Germanic Empire and the Bavarian oh. states and all that stuff? Like this is where the supremacy clause comes into play because mm. if you don't have the ability to regulate all your different regions and all your different states and the Confederacy they're in, um, then you're going to go into chaos like they did in the Germanic regions. So Absolutely. go back to that paper for whatever that and was. And radicals, dangerous people thrive in chaos. Very well, That's much a whole so. other topic. And, and we won't rant about it because no, we, we probably already have a million times. Um, you guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Freedom Papers, that was Federalist 33. Stay tuned because it, I'm looking at 34 right now and it says same subject continued. So All we're going right. to talk about taxes, baby. He does He does end it on a little bit of a cliffhanger. It will be shown in the next paper that this concurrent jurisdiction in the article of taxation was the only admissible blah, 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 blah. But he says, read on to hear more. So continue listening. Uh-huh. Very fancy. Uh -huh. Yeah, sure. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. <laughs>